This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here today with what is 62 participants, but I'm expecting a few more people to come in. And I am also with my co-host, which today, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Liz, but uh, Carolyn Mele, who was with us, I don't know how to pronounce yours either. Um, but is it Mele? Okay. And then uh, Liz German, um, is that German? Okay, German. Yeah, okay. that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, so so Carolyn and and Liz are both uh, on the adjustment team, and so if you're one of the clients that's watching right here, you're probably familiar with them because they are in your file once a week. Uh, also, you know they're kind of one of the the lead coaches in what we do, and so that's why they're on the call and then they might have some insights that that I would not because as you may be able to realize I am a male and they are females <laughs> um, and so uh, naturally I think that makes them nicer um, so here we go uh, if you don't know this is eat to perform uh, you know I don't know how you would have gotten here without knowing that we're eat to perform but if you're not a member and looking to be a member these are our lifetime members and so we do this podcast once a month and we go into a little bit more of advanced topics because most people on this call you know, are well into their fitness and nutrition journey. And so we try to, you know, work through um, some more complicated situations. And today we've got some really good ones because we had initially thought that we were going to talk about cardio and some of the effects that cardio can, can have on your health. And then this week I started reading Howard Ponsner's book, Burn, which uh, talks about the science of total daily energy expenditure, which I know sounds really boring, um, but it's actually not really boring. And so that'll be in the second half. And then we'll do um, question and answer, which I suspect, you know, talking about both topics, we'll get some questions going. And so... Let's first talk about cardio and the different versions of cardio, because right now, you know, I think when people think of cardio, you know, first you're going to, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe running, right? But when I think of cardio, I often think of rowing, I think of uh, cycling, things of that nature. Uh, there's probably a subset, right, of people that are uh, just got done with the CrossFit Open and and 21.4. And, uh, you know, I actually did not participate because I'm doing a, a running uh, program right now. Uh, so so my top of mind is cardio. Right. And uh, but I did do I did do 21.1. Uh, part of the issue here in Minnesota, that's where I live. Um, Liz, I don't know where Liz lives. I know Carolyn lives in Canada, but Canada's a really big place. Um, I'm in Las Vegas. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> We're definitely going to have to visit you. <laughs> that's a that's an eat to perform field trip waiting to happen right there. <laughs> Carolyn, where, yep. where are you in Canada? I'm in Ontario. Okay, gotcha. So 
Tamara was saying that that there's runaway COVID there. Is that is is that your experience? In in Ontario? Yeah. It's it's that we're in a third wave right now, evidently. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's no good. No. Um, all right. So let's jump into to cardio because obviously uh, something like running long distances is viewed very differently than than you know lifting weights faster, right? And so uh, when you're looking at longer cardio, it's what's referred to as aerobic cardio, right? Where your heart rate's lower, you're using more oxygen in that instance. Ironically, um, CrossFit is is most people think of it as hit. It's actually not hit, right? Because hit would be uh, a uh, anaerobic activity, right? And you're going to have basically no oxygen. So like sprinting, as an example, is an anaerobic activity just based on how you are um, taking in oxygen. So when you look at kind of the top CrossFit athletes. And, and once again, this isn't, I'm not trying to have a CrossFit uh, uh, podcast here, but it, it would apply to people that are very good marathoners. Um, and what I'm referring to is operating at the top of your, your heart rate while breathing, right? And so when you're trying to get better at marathons and your pace is higher, you're going to want to get to that part where you're aerobic, but not necessarily moving in anaerobic because you will have to quit, right? You'll have to walk, you'll have to do whatever. So ultimately, as you're training to be better at a, at a marathon, you're trying to get that, that aerobic capacity higher Right, but but not quite get to that level where you're in an anaerobic type phase, right? And so, um, what I'm going to talk about in the second half, I think, actually makes some of this a little bit more interesting because when we talk about, uh, I'm just going to try and minimize. Sorry. Oh shoot, I can't figure out how to. <laughs> get the chat off. And so I guess we won't be worrying about that, but there's a lot of people talking and weirdly it's distracting me at the moment. So when we uh, talk about why you would train for cardio, a lot of people think of it from the aerobic standpoint and don't think that has any value as it relates to uh, weight training. And certainly when you look at something like CrossFit, that would, would, you're wanting to stay kind of on that line of aerobic and anaerobic. Having better aerobic capacity is certainly going to be favorable. When I look at, you know, for instance, I, I have a, a friend of mine who is um, a master's com competitor. And the biggest thing that he's been working on this year and, and CrossFit games athletes actually work on this much more than most of, you know, 
they don't wad their way to the CrossFit games. A lot of them actually do a lot of long endurance, right? So the value of long endurance is, I mean, fairly obvious. Lung capacity is going to be a big one, right? So if, if lung capacity is bigger, that will help you. Like I said, when you're a CrossFit athlete and you're moving over to that, that anaerobic piece, you're, you're getting to the part where ultimately you're, um, you're going to fail, right? And you can't continue on. So really what you want to be able to do is get to what they, they would call the red line, which is basically the anaerobic phase, right? And so um, when you can kind of push that red line higher, then you can obviously do a lot more. But how would that translate to, to weightlifting, right? When you're maybe not doing um, much as it relates to, uh, you know, wanting to lift weights faster. In fact, you would probably want to lift weights slower, uh, but with rest. But cardio still has value there, right? So one of the big advantages of cardio in the instance of someone that wants to to build muscle, but also wants to, um, even in the, in the case of somebody that wants to do recomp, it's going to allow your cells to function with more food, right? And while, you know, the average person listening to this podcast is like, oh, but more food's gonna, you know, make me gain weight. Well, everyone on this phone call kind of knows that that's not really how it works, right? What you, what the majority of people who diet all the time don't realize is that, you know, they view calories as something that makes you gain weight. And in reality, it's actually the opposite, right? So when you're under eating most of the time, it's not allowing you to work at full metabolic capacity. Now, certainly that has limits to it. And I'm going to actually talk about some of those limits especially as it relates, because the first question I always get in that instance is, but what about menopause, right? Um, or andropause for men? Well, I've got some really inf interesting information as it relates to that, that we'll talk about in the second half when we talk about the book Burn. But what you're ultimately trying to do when you are trying to build muscle or trying to recomp is to hold on to as much muscle as you possibly can and build new lean tissue as you go. So it doesn't seem like um, cardio would have a lot of value there unless you knew that cardio does help with sleep, right? Lung capacity is going to be better. And so when you're sleeping better, when you have better lung capacity, when you can get to deep restorative sleep, what ends up happening is that your body is going to repair that tissue better, right? Um, and, you know, we can eat all the supplements you want. You can, you know, have all your macros in place, but if your sleep is four hours a day, you're really kind of missing a big piece of the picture. And I did a series, if you want to check, um, if, well, we've talked about sleep on this podcast quite a bit, but even as we talk about sleep, it's always interesting to people. I did like a three-part series on sleep where I talked about different types of scenarios, like 
let me give you an example. If you work like a split shift type of scenario and you're wondering like how you would eat or, you know, is eight hours if you broke it up into biphasic or triphasic sleep as good or better? The answer is yes, right? The it's it's maybe not as optimal, right? To when you're breaking it up that way, but you know, at the same time, um, we're really looking at what is best for you, right? And so one of the things that's really interesting, this actually happened to me uh, yesterday. And so uh, I woke up at 3.30. Uh, it, it doesn't happen that often, but it was one of the, the situations. And ironically, my running program, as it's starting to get longer, I become more concerned about how much I'm eating, right? Because, you know, my body is asking for more nutrients. So I'm fairly certain that, you know, as I'm starting to stretch, what is the capacity? Uh, you know, I'm getting concerned about, about whether I'm consuming enough. And I'm fairly certain I did not consume enough. And so that was one of the things that woke me up at, at 3.30. So what did I do? Okay, well, I could address it really easily, right? Um, so I went downstairs, you know, knowing that uh, my, I don't have any kids in my house. So I have a lot of advantages that other people don't have, right? So you got to kind of keep that in mind. And so if you can take what I'm saying and apply it to, to you, that would be great. Um, but when we talk about, uh, you know, being underfed, all I did was go have some oatmeal, hot meal in my stomach. Um, you know, had protein in it, had peanut butter. So I got a good amount of uh, calories, right? So that, that was good. Also kind of warms your body up. I don't know if you're aware of this. I see somebody mentioning um, why we sleep by Matthew Walker in the comments. Um, one of the things that I will say that, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew, but, but it was hammered home in that book was the idea that your body needs to um, either warm up or cool down, but your, your body needs to be at a lower temperature to fall asleep, right? So when you have a warm bowl of oatmeal, because maybe you were hungry, it's going to then allow you to warm up so that you can kind of cool down. And so I went to our spare bedroom at that point, turned on a podcast, put the podcast on for, for 15 minutes and then fell to sleep. Well, I'd kind of lost, you know, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of about two hours worth of sleep in that scenario. Um, because when I first woke up, you know, I was just trying to get back to sleep. Um, so, so I just wanted to give you like some of the mechanics of the, of the math there. Um, so technically, so that would be biphasic sleep and that was about six hours. And my plan was to do triphasic sleep, which would be like a small nap. Now, six hours, I can usually operate pretty fine because normally I'm getting seven to eight hours sleep. You know, um, I have a whoop, if you can see that on the, on the, uh, on the podcast um, or on the webinar. 
And so that gives me a good idea whether I'm getting good recovery sleep. I would say I get greens probably five days a week. Yo, it was interesting, like listening to the CrossFit Games podcast and or uh, uh, thing on YouTube. And um, I think it was Scott Panchik that talked about, you know, he'd only had one green all week. And that's because those guys train so much that their body has a really difficult time to recover. And so what's probably maybe, maybe most people would know this, but I think is, you know, not, you know, information that's readily available. But if you thought about it, most of these people that are training for CrossFit games or, or marathons or, or whatever, are often training at like 60% of what a good recovered person would do, right? And so if you're training for the CrossFit Games or you're an NFL player or you are WNBA or something of that nature, you have to do that, right? But we do not have to do that. We can recover more and adjust our intake so that we can you know, basically get the body, the response that our body needs. And so, you know, when people ask me, well, how much do I train? It tends to be, you know, two days of cardio and then three days of weightlifting, none of which anyone on this phone call would go beast mode, right? Um, I'm just getting to that pace with cardio where um, I'm at about an hour, and, you know, I can get in, you know, I don't really pay this much attention to it, to be completely honest with you. Um, but I would say, you know, probably 7K, 8K, something of that nature, right? And, uh, but my, my pace is different. I, I do hills different. Um, I tend to run more downhill obviously and walk more uphill um and and i live in a pretty hilly area of minnesota so getting back to how it would help as it relates to um building muscle we're really talking about recovery right and so when when you've slept better when you have better lung capacity um it's going to be helpful for those things because now when you hit the gym and let's say, like I said, you're not a WNBA person. You're not a CrossFit Games athlete. You're not, you know, training for a marathon or something of this nature. And you can allow your body to recover fully. Then when you're in the gym, you can be operating at 100%, which means that you're optimally tearing down tissue. And then when you're recovering and getting, you know, seven and a half to eight and a half hours sleep, that tissue is repairing itself, assuming that we're, our calories are much closer to what our total daily energy expenditure is. And so that's going to be what we're talking about in the, in the second half. Um, I'm just trying to think of other ways that, that this can help, but, but it's truthfully that simple, right? Where, you know, um, your cardio, cardio is going to allow you to, to eat more right? It's going to allow your cells to function better um, because you're eating more, right? When we talk about metabolism, that's going to be a, a, a big thing that, um, 
you know, most people don't think of, like, as an example, if you're overweight, and you think that you have a repressed metabolism, um, you might be right, right? But but you're typically only right if you're under eating. If you're over consuming, right, and you're overweight, um, you have a very thriving metabolism. And part of the reason why is because you have more cells because you're a bigger human being. And so as you're trying to feed all of those cells, that's what makes your metabolism uh, operate at more efficiency. And if you're over consuming beyond, you know, kind of that efficient piece, that's when you start to have problems with like insulin resistance and things of that nature. So I'm just trying to give like a simplistic idea of, of how that works. But let's go back to building muscle. One of the things that happens, you know, and, and I like to talk about it because I think that for um, people our age, it's a concern, right? And so um, for men dealing with in andropause, you know, I am on hormone replacement, which means that I take injectable testosterone. So uh, if you think he's telling me he's on steroids, um, it is not steroids, right? Steroids is a large multiple of what I take and then dealing with the, the, the instances around that, right? I go to a men's clinic, I do blood testing every eight weeks, and then we make adjustments as you go. Women would have hormone replacement therapy, but the majority of the hormone that you're going to replace is going to be testosterone. Why? Well, one, as women, you have less testosterone, right? So you start off at a big disadvantage um, as it relates to holding muscle, building muscle, things of that nature. So when you go through hormone replacement, or in my case, testosterone replacement, um, people want it to be something that it's not, right? And you want it to be the magic answer. And I will tell you, like when I first started um, testosterone replacement, I mean, I could run through walls, my sleep got better, everything got great. But what happens when you do hormone replacement or, or testosterone replacement is that your body no longer produces it. So now you become reliant on that, right? And so uh, how you take it actually matters quite a bit. So if you're in the US and you're working with a natural or a, a insurance provider, they're typically only going to allow you to do it under a doctor's care. And so they'll give you like this large bolus of, of um, testosterone all at once. I take mine once every other day. Um, and, and I don't want to say how much I take, but it's, it's relatively small. Um, and the reason why I don't want to say what, it, what I take is because it has no relevance to you and your situation, right? Um, everybody's situation is different. And what happens is in the beginning, when your body is still kind of producing testosterone and you start to take testosterone, or even in the case of women where, you know, you might be taking, uh, you know, they're balancing estrogen and testosterone. 
there's a process that happens that might feel great in the beginning and might feel wrong later on. And so you have to make adjustments as you go, right? Um, as for me, the reason why I mentioned it um, is because uh, the, the lower amounts, right, um, was actually where I'm a little bit more comfortable. When we were higher, you know, I started to experience like a little bit of blood thickening, which isn't great. Um, and it also didn't feel right. I actually feel more correct at a little bit of a lower dosage, right? And so everyone's going to be a little bit different in that regard. And I do think it is a viable option for some people. But if you're saying, well, I can't lose weight, so therefore I need hormone replacement therapy, you're making like 16 leaps that really might not be true, right? I think what happens for a lot of people, and, and, and I know we're kind of deviating a little bit from cardio, but we're really not, right? Um, what happens for most people is they go, I can't lose weight. I need to do more cardio. Well, what's cardio going to do? Well, it's going to tap your testosterone more, right? So if you already have low testosterone, it's going to lower it as a result of kind of this extreme exercise because your body is going to try and preserve all the natural things that, that go on. And of course, you're using it as you go, right? And so when... I'm doing it, right? Being on testosterone replacement, I am not training for a marathon. I am not training for anything other than just being a better human being, right? And so when I set my recovery, I go, okay, well, I need a certain amount of resistance training to, for, for physique, for health, for cell um, if you listen to our, our uh, podcast with, that I did with Susan on mitochondria, it, we, we really went into cell health in, in a great way. So, so that might be something to really check out. But having a, a variety of <coughs> longer endurance hit and resistance training is something that's really good for your health profile. Now, what I'm going to tell you in the second part is none of that matters for weight loss right? And the, that's gonna, gonna frustrate some people, but I think I can bring it home so that you will then go, okay, that's a piece of the puzzle I now know and don't need to worry about, right? But you exercise for cell health to get better at exercise and to reach your goals that you specifically want, right? But if your goals are is to be at 120 pounds all the time, right? And you're 140 pounds, or, or genetically you're meant to be 140 pounds, you're kind of working against your own body's nature. And I think a lot of us, including me, have these thoughts in our head. So let me give you an example. And I know that I know that we're getting a little bit away from the from the cardio, but it, I think it matters because. Obviously, as an example, if uh, cardio, um, if you're a little bit smaller, cardio is going to be a little bit easier, which is, is sort of interesting and true and then sort of isn't, you know, I know that when I first started this programming, my joints hurt 
right? There's all these different things. And now um, what my joints are recovering a lot faster. Everything's recovering a lot faster. I mean, you know, the testosterone does play a little bit of advantage there, um, but probably not as much of an advantage as, as you would think. But if you're low, it's going to help. Um, what would it do in that instance? Um, because you're sleeping better, because you're recovering better, you're going to hold on to muscle. Um, that's going to allow your running to be better in theory. Um, if you wanted to be smaller, obviously you need to be in somewhat of a calorie deficit, but if you go to a marathon, what you're going to see is there's a lot of different body types, right? And you'll see people go past you, you know, that are women that are 250 pounds and they're racing with people half their size and doing just as just fine. Right. Similarly, if you want to do pull-ups, right. And you're thinking, well, I have to be 120 pounds. Otherwise I'm not going to get a pull-up. I mean, I work out with a lady that can do 10 strict pull-ups and she's 250 pounds. Right. So a lot of the thoughts that we have about running, you know, I don't know. I mean, Susan and I talked about the Nike controversy um, where, you know, they were kind of starving these athletes and things of this nature, which was like horrible, right? What they were doing to these athletes, but it was also wrong, right? What, what they were seeing with these cardio athletes was that if they were recovering better and allowing their bodies to naturally be where their body was going to be, oftentimes not only did they, um, did they feel better, right? Because they weren't starving all the time, but they also were um, performing better. The, the interesting thing about athletes, right? Is when you work with a high level athlete, oftentimes they can do things with their brain that regular folks can't. And that's kind of what happens with practice. Um, and that's often what makes them really good athletes. But the best athletes kind of work with, you know, within their own ability, right? And so a great example would that uh, of that would be Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather was, you know, um, he was obviously a very good boxer, um, but he was known for basically being the size that he is, right? So it was very difficult for Floyd, who often had really bad nutrition habits, to gain a lot of weight, right? Now, part of the reason why is because he trained all the time. He just always loved being in the gym, right? And even in retirement, he's still in the gym. He's still posting workouts and things of this nature. I'm sorry, there's a little girl that showed up on uh, the camera. It's gotten to distracting me, um, which I hope she's listening because it'd be fun to, for her to grow up with this information of being well-fed. But, but Floyd was notorious for having Cokes before his workouts and after his workouts and then going to McDonald's afterwards. And, and he was shredded. And it was very difficult for him to out eat his boxing class. And the fact that he was able to consume 
so many calories that fueled his workouts, allowed his recovery to be better. And it was interesting. And I think this is actually interesting um, if you're interested in CrossFit also, right? Is you could go back to like 2005 and look at Floyd's physique and he looked very different, you know, in say 2015. He just had a lot more muscle, right? And the way that you add muscle, kind of getting back to why cardio can help your, your, um, your weightlifting is that, you know, when you're consuming and maybe even over consuming at times, it's going to allow your body to have a bit of a surplus that's going to allow your body to build the tissues that you want. If in the tissue that you would want in that instance is muscle. If you look at Rich Froning, right? Rich Froning had notoriously bad um, eating habits for a very long time, right? In 2010, even with those bad habits, his work capacity was so high that he could out eat that. And you look at a picture of him. And I think at that time, he was like 175 without a lot of muscle. Now, all of a sudden, you know, fast forward to 2017, 2018, rather than being 175, he was like 210 and really sort of struggled kind of the opposite of Floyd Mayweather. He struggled to keep weight down, right? And eventually had to start realizing that he needed to clean things up a little bit so that he could operate closer to 200 pounds. That's sort of the thing that, you know, most of you need to know, especially if you're women and you're kind of judging yourself based on, you know, these CrossFit Games athletes. I, I, I don't know if Rich has updated his profile, but he said 185. And I'm, I think that pretty much has stayed, you know, for this whole time, even though, you know, within season, he, you know, he would have gotten um, within a, a training season, he might have gotten up to 210, clean things up a little bit, started competing at 195 and in competition, you can pretty much just eat whatever you want and, and, and maintain your weight, your weight, and you kind of have to eat whatever you want, because, you know, your body needs a lot of fuel and that fuel is not going to come from chicken and kale. <laughs> you know, you're better off, you know, eating pizza at that time, anything that has a lot of calories and a really confined um, way of eating. And so trying to put all of this together, you know, you know, like I said, sleep is going to be really important. Cardio is going to be favorable for your sleep. Um, you know, kind of exhausting that body and allowing it to recover, um, if you're running every single day, God bless you, but I just going to tell you, you're not operating the way that your body would like to operate, right? Might be great for running, might be great for pace, might be great for a lot of things, but if your goal is abs, it's not great for that, right? And, and these are conversations that you have with people that are really frustrating, right? Because they want to burn off all their calories or, you know, in the case of, of, of going into the gym, you know, you're sleeping four hours a day. Um, your nutrition is really super clean and you're trying to build muscle. You're not going to be able to do that, right? You build muscle with a surplus where you're tearing down tissue, you're rebuilding that tissue back up. And in part of that equation, cardio can play a role, right? Now, you know, 
I mean, I mentioned testosterone replacement earlier. Well, what about bodybuilders? Once again, you know, I mean, look at me. I'm not that huge, right? Because I don't take that much testosterone. When you're taking 100 times what I take, right? And your goal is simply to be best on stage, you know, um, certainly you're not going to do a lot of cardio, right? Because your North Star is just being big as possible and having as much muscle as possible on stage, right? And so if you're willing to compromise your health and, and, and you know, um, really longevity of life, you know, those are compromises you're willing to make, right? Um, and so these are things that you have to kind of keep in mind. But for the regular bodybuilder, just a regular person, if you're trying to get a little bit more jacked, if you're trying to lift more sets and reps, you know, cardio 1000% plays a role in that instance, right? So we're going to switch the questions now because that went probably a little bit longer and I don't, I don't want to take away from the, the talking about um, total daily energy expenditure and the book Burn, but I do kind of want to give room for the cardio since I said that that's what um, this podcast would be on. Carolyn, thoughts? Well, I think you've you've hit it right right on the head there with everything with the cardio, and I think a lot of so, people. So to be clear, right? We see this in the reviews on on uh, Apple Podcasts. I did not hit it on the head, right? I may have gotten there a million different ways, but the way that my brain works, you know, I'm going to kind of spit on you guys, right? And then as I'm working through it, hopefully I get to where I need to go. And then that's what we use questions for. But I just want to be clear that I know that I can ramble on, right? And I know that sometimes, because as I'm thinking of things, I'm thinking of three other things, right? And so sometimes it's hard not to get that out there because it's not telling the full story, but go ahead. But, but you got to the point. So I followed you all the way there. Okay. You did. You did. And I think it is so important um, that people are balancing their um, the way that they are working out and adding in that cardio as well, too, for whole heart health, for sure. Yeah. Liz, any any thoughts before we moved on <laughs> spaghetti at the wall method? Yeah, that's that's kind of how I do it. Um, so, Liz, um, any thoughts, any questions before we move on to burn? Uh, no, I mean, I think you mentioned a couple things as far as uh, different athletes and their goals. And I think one of the things that's really important for people to keep in mind are their goals. You know, are we eating for performance? Do we want to maximize performance? Are we eating for health? Do we want to keep those micronutrients in our diet? You know, are we doing cardio because we're trying to strip away some fluff? Are we doing cardio because we're trying to get faster? Are we trying to increase work capacity? So I think goals are really important and they're gonna be individual. Um, so when we're looking at why am I doing cardio? I think the first question should be, what are my goals? Yeah, 
No, I agree. And I think that that's really important. Um, I do think when speaking of spaghetti at the wall, and by the way, someone has their hand raised, um, just go ahead and use the chat. Um, other, otherwise, we, we, we really can't um, deal with it. Um, but Michelle's asking, oh, oh, so David's saying, so is there a sweet spot with regards to cardio during the course of the week? Um, well, it depends on whether you're trying to get good at cardio, right? I'm not particularly trying to get good at cardio. I'm just trying to get better at lung capacity and work capacity, right? And so this is actually interesting, right? For, for someone that may be used to CrossFit and wants to come back to CrossFit, the best thing you can do is not just go to CrossFit and suffer, right? The best thing that you could do is, is to, um, work on cardio capacity and allow for recovery, right? Because whether you like it or not, you know, CrossFit, let's say that you weren't able, well, let's use the coronavirus example where you couldn't go to the gym for six months. You're much better off spending two to three weeks, you know, running two to three days a week um, and, and kind of go from there. Right. So sweet spot really kind of depends on on what your your goals are. Um, but I think I'm going to probably answer what your real question is in the second half. Um, so Michelle saying, I know that with EDB, they recommend running twice a week in PR. Can you explain how this is beneficial? I hate cardio. So. Uh, we do not recommend running twice a week in PR. Uh, it's certainly something that can help you um, and certainly something that I find helpful personally. But uh, in terms of like strict rules, uh, I think that Carolyn and Liz would tell you we don't really have those, right? That's the reason why we think one-on-one -on -one coaching is so important. That said, I mean, are there general ideas that we like to adhere to? I would say yes. Um, I think PR are, uh, I think cardio kind of comes down to doing what you like at a pace that you like it, right? And so to give you a great example, I like some level of up and some level of down, right? So, uh, especially when I was losing weight, I really liked hill sprints, right? Partly because I just liked the idea of being done in 15 minutes and just running up the hill and walking down the hill, you know? Um, and that's what I mean by most people doing CrossFit and calling it hit is actually wrong, right? And, and I used to make a much bigger deal of it, but really what CrossFit is for a really good CrossFit athlete is long endurance right it's long endurance at a really high heart rate right but when you do a hill sprint you are going all out where you cannot breathe you know when when you look at uh Usain Bolt you know running 100 meters he's not breathing right <laughs> like like they might have short you know two to three breaths in that instance but this, it's not a, it's not a highly breathy type activity, right? So you get all your breaths in. Now, what's interesting is with true hit, where you're maximizing your um, heart rate, is that you actually burn 
on the way down, right? So, so you're releasing as your heart rate is going lower and you're kind of getting back to that eustress state so that you can now do a distress state when you're doing hit. And eustress is basically the opposite of distress, right? And so you want to be able to do enough of that to where, you know, you're reaching your athletic goals. So Eric is asking, I try to do five minutes cardio warm up then 10 to 15 minute after every lifting session. What are your thoughts? Um, I don't hate it. Um, I think that's fine. I probably wouldn't do it that way um, just because uh, lifting to me is something you're doing for a very specific reason. You're trying to tear down tissue so that when you're sleeping, it builds it back up stronger, especially if you're eating um, at your total daily energy expenditure or maybe even a little bit of a surplus. So I would typically um, uh, separate the two. Does that mean that, uh, that you're not working out optimally for, for you? Well, you're not working out optimally for sure, but you might be working out optimally for you, right? <laughs> like, you know, you want to be with the kids, you want to be with your husband, you have book club, there's all these different things. So if you're, if you're reaching your goals by doing that, I would highly encourage you to, to continue doing that. If you're willing to sacrifice some other things, that's kind of the part, right, that, uh, you know, a lot of us kind of lose track of, you know, is that, you know, when you try to reach some of these extreme goals, sometimes you have to give up a, a few things. And, you know, I'll speak to this. I mean, I'm not for that, right? Like for me personally, you know, um, I, I did that at one time and that was great, right? And I, and I learned a lot in that process, lost a hundred pounds, awesome. But what I see with a lot of people that lose extreme amounts of weight is that the, the biggest counseling is that, okay, let's be done now and let's talk about what the next phase looks like, right? So that's my thoughts on that. In fat loss, should you add cardio as you move through the weeks more toward the end? All right, so I'm going to address that in the next part. Okay, we got one more coming in. I'm going to address that in the, in the next part, but I would not... I would not add excessive cardio or, or extreme cardio, eight to 10,000 steps, maybe going to 12,000 steps would be fine. Um, but I think you could, you could really make the case that, that more cardio is going to actually tear down more tissue. So you might lose more weight. Um, Someone is saying my question is involved. So, so we'll maybe address that at the end, Carolyn, we can talk about that. Um, but the problem that you run into when you start to do excessive cardio is now you're at risk of, you know, uh, tearing more muscle tissue, right? So that your body, body uses fuel. And so when you're talking about like a three month cycle of, of fat loss one, fat loss two, that can matter because now all of a sudden, instead of losing, you know, eight to 10 pounds of fat, you end up losing six, uh, six pounds of, of, of fat and four pounds of muscle, right? So not necessarily favorable for body fat equation, right? And that's what you're always running up against, by the way, when you're in a fat loss cycle is how can you keep muscle? So you'll see this a lot in the forums where 
somebody loses eight pounds and it looks like they lost 20 pounds, right? It's because they kept that muscle in the process rather than just getting smaller and blowing through a bunch of muscle tissue. Maybe a dumb question. What do we consider cardio? Is it a heart rate target? No, I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, well, I, I, I spoke about the different types of cardio. So yes, we're talking more, more aerobic where you can breathe. <coughs> um, you know, certainly your long endurance, you're going to want to have kind of a, a median heart rate. Heart rate varies per individual, but I'm thinking more kind of a 140 range, you know, something of that nature. Doesn't mean that you're not doing cardio if your um, heart rate is, say, 105 to 120, but it's just kind of different for different goals. And so we'll address, um, the, I don't see their name because they're listed as iPhone. So Carolyn, you're, you're the one that'll ask me that question once we're done. Okay, now to get to the book Burn, because we might address some of these things as we go. Big concept with Burn is you don't do exercise to lose weight. Now, I've been saying that for 10 years, right? But I did not necessarily know why, right? Nor was I that familiar with the concept of what, Herman refers to in the book as constrained energy expenditure, right? So you have basically total daily energy expenditure. And when I started Eat and Form, my thought process on total daily energy expenditure was the same as, you know, um, Jillian Michaels on, 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 you know, The Biggest Loser, right? That um, your the big thing is the calorie deficit, right? Um, it's probably the thing that I changed my mind on the most, right? Um, because even though I lost a lot of weight and I was doing a lot of things um, that were favorable for weight loss, and I would th I'm gonna make the argument that if you have a lot of weight to lose, you're probably actually better off spending your calories at a higher calorie amount. Um, because what we've seen over and over again is that you can work out and that will be favorable for a, a number of reasons, but it just makes the cycles work better, right? Because you have better um, metabolic health as you're going through it. So, you know, when I lost, you know, hundred pounds, Certainly, I was at some deficits at a higher point than I would go in, in short cycles the same way we teach all of you guys where we were at a little bit of a deficit. Um, it was kind of interesting uh, reading the book because it's very favorable to what we're set up to do, right? And so when you look at kind of the seven-day rhythm that we have in place, a lot of people often ask, well, you know, those low carb days, I hate that. And some people love the low carb days. It just really depends on kind of who you are as an individual. Most of the people, right, that love the low carb days actually just love the low calorie days, right? Um, because it's, it's, it's more comfortable for people. You know, there's not a high expectation of work output if you're under eating all the time. In fact, many chronic dieter folks right? Yeah, they're scared of adding more food, but what they're playing on their mind a little bit is like, eh, you know, 
when I eat 1100 calories, I don't gain weight and I don't necessarily feel like I have to go to the gym all the time. Right. But what the seven day rhythm does is it has two days at lower calories. Right. And those days are basically regulating kind of hydration levels, right? Because if your carbohydrates are a little bit higher, you're going to have some water attached to the nutrient. That's what, what carbohydrates do. And so weight might be a little bit heavier on those days when the, when the calories are lower and the carbs are lower, that allows that weight to flush out. And what's most interesting about that is that when you look at other programs that specifically do, you know, either high, low or um, something like, you know, just one calorie um, point across the board, right? But you get to throw a workout meal, you know, trust me, those 120 calories or whatever really isn't doing much. What I would say it does for the majority of people is it gives them almost a, a treat, right? And so I, I don't prefer to look at food as a treat, right? I think that we're all better off not having those weird uh, messages in our heads, right? But majority of the programs that are adding food like that, where you're adding 20 grams of carbohydrates and 10 grams of protein or 20 grams of protein, 40 grams of carbohydrates, um, they're really not affecting your energy. Well, they might affect your energy acutely, but, but they're not um, going to address energy availability. It takes up to 24 hours for nutrients to load into your body, um, probably a little bit faster if you're starving, you know, but, um, and, and even if, even if you're, you know, like I said, if you're eating 1100 calories and you add 120 calories to that, you're, you're still going to work out at 60% in the gym. You're not going to have a full type of gym experience, right? So when we talk about total daily energy expenditure, my thought process was no different than anybody else until we started to get the data. That's when everything changed for Eat to Perform. Because what we saw was, was people like Michelle um, that could eat, you know, 4,000 calories, 3,000 calories, 2,500 calories and do really, really well. But what we also saw eventually was that those people were subject to the same exact rules that the people that weren't exercising in that way. Right. And, and, you know, one thing I heard from Adam Carolla a long time ago that I think really applies to this situation is that in any world, if you make a million dollars a year, it's a great accomplishment and you would feel great about it unless you made 20 million the year before, right? And that's a phenomenon you see in Hollywood. And that's what you see with Eat to Perform, right? You work your way up to these massive calorie numbers and you're working out all the time. And now instead of being an also ran on the CrossFit Games leaderboard or an also ran at your marathon, now you're fighting for the top, right? Well, when you're fighting for the top, you're going to want to be fueled in that instance. 
And so the, the issue that you run against is that, you know, I'm doing all this work. Why am I not seeing my weight go down? Well, once again, the reason why you're doing the work should not be the primary focus as weight loss, right? Can it be favorable in extreme instances? Yes. Now, confession time, mine was an extreme instance, right? I went from being a sedentary person to working out three times a day. What happened to me? Well, I got sick a lot, right? So when you overtrain, you'll often have like a cold symptoms, things of this nature, but you're like, you know what? I got to fight through it. I got a beast mode. All the t-shirts at CrossFit were be ready to kill, right? And so the, the idea was that, you know, if, if I wasn't working out three times a day, you know, I wasn't ready to kill, you know, and I went from like this, this doughy poker player um, that was really good at data that couldn't figure out things. But I also had something else that, that a lot of people either don't have the time to do or really don't have the will to do um, is I, I, I was, I would play mental games with myself right? Um, at one point, uh, you know, I was testing kind of the ideas of cold therapy, right? And, and I would go on hikes 20 below, right? Where my cell phone would die and things of this nature. And, you know, you're sending yourself messages at that moment. I'm willing to do things other people aren't willing to do, right? And then your cell phone goes off and you go, oh, yeah, I got to get back to the car because I'm not willing to die in this process. Right. But most people, whether it be calories or exercise, don't really push themselves to that level. And, and previous to that point, I hadn't really I, I had I, I was athletic um, in in my late teens. Uh, well, through throughout my whole life as a child um, and then around like. I would say up to age 24, you know, I would, I was pretty good at like softball and touch football and stuff like that. So I stayed active, but, you know, I went from being graduating high school at 135 pounds. When I met my wife, I think I was 155. Right. And then by about 24 to 25, I was 185 pounds, which ironically, it was the size that my dad is, right? But I wasn't doing any resistance training other than, you know, what I would be doing, you know, relatively active, you know, with softball and touch football and stuff like that. And so, so I was not, you know, that's what kind of eventually started me down the dieting path once I, once I became 30, right? So getting back to this concept of, of total daily energy expenditure, can you lose weight doing exercise? The amount of extreme exercise that you would have to do to lose that weight um, is, is going to be something that most people either don't have the time to do or don't have the will to do. That doesn't make me a superhero. It's just what happened, right? But what I can tell you for fact is that once I hit 200, right? Because I started at 255. Once I hit 200, it was harder, a lot harder, 
right? And that's when I started I had to mi mixing in the deficit cycles. And I was trying a lot of things at that point, right? Um, at at the point where I was 255, the last thing I had tried was 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 um, was low carb, right? And what's interesting about that is that's how I came up with the seven day rhythm, right? Because what I realized in the time before where I lost 75 pounds, right? So when we talk about yo-yo dieting, a lot of people think of yo-yo dieting as, as I lost my weight and then I gained back 20, actually I gained back 25, right? I'm talking about like really yo-yo dieting, right? Losing 75 pounds and then gaining a hundred, right? That kind of thing. That was sort of my norm at that point. Um, but at the end of, of um, the low carb, what I had started to realize as I was getting lower and lower and lower, even though it was stressing my system, my sleep wasn't great, you know, I was blowing through muscle, all these negative things. What I'd started to realize was that it wasn't really a low carb issue. Now, I did not know all the things that I know now, but intuitively I was looking at it as from the standpoint of data, right? And so what I found was, is if I could do five days low carb and two days with carbs, you know, it was helpful. Now, there was really no activity to speak of at this point. I was really just looking at it from the standpoint of weight loss, but eventually I did end up getting around four days where I was low carb and three days where I had carbohydrates. So when you look at the rhythm, right? And you look at why we do two, two low days, that's where it came from, right? I already knew that carbs were beneficial even without the thought of weight loss at, uh, or um, any activity at all, right? I wasn't using activity to lose weight at that point, right? So, what what Herman is talking about in the book is he uses this group of of hunter gatherer people, right? And so, um, in the 1960s, there was what is called a double water study, um, and I, I might have that part wrong, so feel free to read the book. I would encourage all of you to read the book. I think it, I think it's really super helpful. Um, I did have trainers reaching out to me and they're like, you and Susan got to do a podcast. You know, you got to tell everybody this is wrong, you know? And I was like, well, I've been saying exercise for weight loss is not something that you should be, be looking towards just because you can do it a lot easier than that for, for a long time. The fact that the book is talking about, um, you know, exercise is horrible for weight loss, you know? Ironically, I agree with, but that's not why you exercise, right? In my view. And that's not why I think most of you understand why you exercise, though we all have a troubled relationship with food and exercise, right? That's just kind of how that works. Um, and so you're kind of working through that piece as you go. So basically what he's doing is he's comparing these hunter gatherers and he's fully expecting through these double water studies to see their total daily energy expenditure um, to be super high, which is allow them to be disease free and things of this nature. And when he gets the information back, that's not what he saw, right? Um, Carolyn, we have somebody unmuted. 
um, that needs to be muted. Um, and so uh, the information blew him away. So, so once he knew that information, he then started working with other hunter-gatherer populations to see if it would, would work for that. And then they came out with this study in 2012 that basically a sedentary, you know, 70 year old menopausal woman has the same, even slightly more total daily energy expenditure than a Hadza woman that um, is, is 70 years old and is much more active than them which on a scientific level, on a logical level, see, this is the problem with using logic without being able to try and interpret that data. Many of us are using our logic, the whole logic of, if I eat more food, I'm gonna get fat, right? That kind of logic. Um, more often than not, the opposite actually does end up being true. And that was true in this scenario. And what was interesting about this book, I mean, I went through this book in, in was, which was like three hours, right? I'm listening to it in a, on an audio book at 1.5 because when I look at the biggest leap that we made in Eat to Perform Land, it was just that, right? We were seeing this exact same phenomenon that you could have Olympic athletes, right? That 115 pounds, eating 4,000 calories, performing out the gym, staying weight stable, almost no cardio, right? And that person, when they had to go to a deficit, so I'll give you an example. That person goes from 4,000 calories to 3,000 calories, loses three pounds. All the math says they should lose more weight than that. Only problem is they're already kind of lean right? So you, you've got that to play with, right? So now 3,000 to 2,000 loses another three pounds, but it was a little bit harder and took a little bit longer. Then all of a sudden, what you would see is that for that person to get as lean as they would need to be in a, re a weight restricted sport, they, they would definitely need to um, be much closer to where all of you are as just regular people. And what Herman's study shows is why that is the case, right? When you're trying to function as a metabolically capable human being, food plays a major role in that. And not just, you know, clean foods or real foods or all the words that we use to sort of demonize you know, energy dense foods, energy dense foods do have a role. Now, when I talk about my journey, right? My initial idea when I was 255 pounds was that I had the time, I had the want to, I had the willpower. There was nothing going to stop me from, you know, um, losing good amounts of weight i could burn it off right like i said that did not happen um especially very early on um you know i got sick there was a lot of different things going on you know my body probably wasn't ready it was adjusting just all these things that were that were going on 
And so then I started doing these switches where I would go from, you know, eating, you know, drive through food at McDonald's, which I don't know that I ever really did that, but, but, um, but, but an example of that would be, you know, going through a drive through, you know, just because my kids needed food and I needed something to eat. And I was really, really hungry because I had exercised a lot. Right. So that might have happened. Um, but I did not really, you know, I hate using the term clean things up, but I kind of cleaned things up. Right. I just started doing switches where I was much more prepared going on. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I ate all the time was ribeyes. There was there was periods where I would eat ribeyes for like six months straight. And if you're trying to fat, uh, fit um, ribeyes into your um, your macros, good luck. <laughs> I haven't had a mac. I haven't had a, a ribeye, you know, in probably five years. It's just really, really hard um, to do it. And, and, and I don't necessarily like that much fat anymore. Right. Um, but, but I did at one point and it certainly serves a role every now and again. So, um, but when you compared a 25 year old Hadza woman to a 70 year old um, postmenopausal Hadza woman, the difference was not that big. And the reason why it wasn't is because they, they never went on a diet, right? What the book goes into in depth are all the studies related to BMR, related to yo-yo dieting. There was, there was one from the, um, the Biggest Loser study where it showed that their BMR went down a lot. Most of them gained the weight back, all these different things. Um, but when you look at someone who maybe started dieting when they're 15, right. And they've dieted all the way here, right. The one thing that was very, very clear from the book. And, you know, it's one of these things that's like sleep, right. People like I operate fine on six hours sleep. Eh, no, you don't. Right. Like, like, you're just going to be better off and have more restorative sleep if you're sleeping seven and seven and a half to eight and a half. And I understand your circumstances, your life, your kids, all these things go on and take away from that. But you should spend the rest of your life trying to get more restorative sleep as you go. Total daily energy expenditure seems to work about the same. Women, 2,500. Men, 3,000, right? And you go... If I ate 2,500, you know, I would blow up. No, you have it in reverse. Because you don't eat 2,500, you're actually repressing what your body would naturally want to do, right? And you go, well, trust me, I know. Well, no, it's really this combined effect of 47 diets that you've done since you were 15 years old, right? That has repressed your BMR, Right. But here's what we know about BMR. And this is what's important about these studies. In the biggest loser study, right, which provided science with a lot of information, but we also saw this in the in the Minnesota starvation study um, in the 1950s. BMR drops in a crazy way. Right. But what happened with most of the biggest loser 
people, but also the people um, that were in the Minnesota starvation study, which tend to be like conscientious objectors that were like farmers, they were active lifestyle people. So they, they would typically consume 3,500 to 4,000 calories. Um, and then you would have, um, you know, in the starvation study, it went as low as I think it was 1,527 calories, right? So they lost a, a lot of weight. Um, they, they, they lost the ability to have sex. Uh, the, um, they became obsessive about food. You know, we're not even really talking about the mental component of, of this level of restriction, right? Now, um, in the book, so first of all, it's not a diet book, right? So you just need to know that but it's a piece of the puzzle that you have to know. And if you knew this, if you knew that um, operating much closer to your total daily energy expenditures, the way that your body wants to work, I think it really explains why eat to perform is so effective because we've always looked at things from a top-down standpoint, right? Um, but the one thing that was really interesting in the book was um, the Hadza's people, um, how much affection they had for honey, right? So, so you eat a zebra, you eat some berries, right? You're eating all these things. They don't equal a lot of calories. So how do you make up the difference when you're out getting in the amount of steps in one day that most people do in, you know, um, a week, right? Well, honey makes up the difference, right? And so um, the stories were actually kind of funny in the book where these Hadza men um, are getting stung by all these bees, right? But it was worth it for the energy, Right. Because they didn't have any other they, didn't, they can't just go to the store and buy pasta, you know, um, and 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 so when you look at, you know, trying to stay at who you are, right, your body does sort of figure out this right what we're doing in trying to regulate people's weight and trying to help them reach their goals almost always you're working against the way that your body would prefer to work, right? Which is why these long diet cycles often end up with these big rebounds after the fact, right? Um, and so I encourage you all to read it. Um, there's pieces of it that I don't love, um, but I get why he needs to say it. Um, and I will tell you that um, the um, the movement for um, body acceptance really does not like this book, right? Because he boils it down to um, you know overconsumption compared to a calorie deficit, right? I think he would love to see the data that that we have. Right, because um, that piece he does have wrong. Now, does he make the case for eating close to your total daily energy expenditure 
Uh, most of the time, yes. He does make the case that slightly lower is favorable for health. Most of what he's talking about is not the way that most people diet, right? Um, where you're, you're going to this low calorie point, even if it's a, an evolved system like you to perform, um, and then you know, you're gradually working back to your normal, very close to total daily energy expenditure. It's not necessarily bad to be at a little bit lower than let's say 2,500 for women. Um, like I said, even for menopausal women, um, the, the real issue is kind of that metabolic health, right? You know, when you um, under eat, you're naturally going to suppress, right? So if you're, if you're gaining weight, and you're a menopausal woman, you're probably scared to death that having more food is going to be favorable, right? So now all of a sudden you just whittle it down to what ultimately ends up being about 1300 worth of real food, right? And I'm doing air quotes because a lot of people that are eating clean or eating real food, they're really just under eating where their metabolism would want to be, right? And so when they come to eat perform, you know, and we say to them, you know, we need to fix the under eating part. They're like, well, I haven't been under eating. I've been eating, you know, what my body says, you know, well, the problem is, is that you've gotten to the point because of what you're eating and because of what you're doing, where, you know, you've nuclear bombed your body for years and years and years without a real good understanding, right? You're just kind of using logic that, Man, if I work out more, I mean, I remember that. I remember that when I when I um, realized that I needed to lift weights, I walked into the CrossFit gym. The guy's a guy's an Army Ranger, Special Forces, and I'm seeing people doing butterfly pull-ups over here. One guy's deadlifting 405. I'm like, this is what I need. Some other really hard shit, right? Um, and, and I, I did need that mentally at that point, right? Because, you know, I was a little scared of weight. I remember being scared of, of 155 pounds for a deadlift. And now, um, you know, I, if, if you followed me at all, I've deadlifted 500 pounds, right? So there was, a, there was some fears that I had to get over about what I could do and things of this nature. And then last year, you know, um, I had meniscus surgery. Um, that was the first injury that I really had as an adult, <laughs> right? Well, um, I was in a motorcycle accident that tore off my ankle at one point. So that, that was another one. Um, but, but, but I wasn't physically able at that point, right, um, in the way that I was when I had the meniscus tear. And so, you know, like a lot of you that have dealt with injuries, you know, I was still dealing with the same thing of like, man, if I can't do it, you know, am I going to gain a lot of weight, you know, all these different things. And it took everything I knew scientifically to go against those messages that my brain was sending me. And it worked out great. In fact, I've been able to put on a lot of muscle because I'm not, you know, using up all of that energy. And so some of it could actually go to building tissue as we, as we went. I mean, the, one of the more interesting stats 
that sort of back up what, what Herman talks about. And like, if you look at a picture of Herman, you can tell he's not an extreme exerciser, right? Um, but I work from 255 all the way down to 149 and a half, right? And everybody sees those pictures and they're like, wow, man, that was amazing, you know? And, and you have like a solid four pack and, you know, the striations on your, your um, ribs and, and you can count every single rib, you know? And what people didn't see at that point was my eye would shake all the time, right? Like because of the working out, N not so much under eating because I really wasn't under eating that often at that time, but I was working in deficits that would strategically get my weight down. To get to 149 and a half, I remember specifically, you know, I just ate 2000 calories um, for about two weeks, right? Previous to that, I was eating about 4,000 calories. And that's what got me down to the, to the 149 and a half. But there was just so much stress in my system. I slept okay. It wasn't great, right? But, you know, there was so many adaptations happening at once that, you know, my body just reacted to it in, in a really big way. And it took me years to get back to normal, right? Of, of normally thinking of exercise and normally thinking of, of how a lot of this works. And then of course, each reform comes along and I'm hiring PhDs and, and, and I'm trying to help all of you. And, you know, obviously over the course of the last 10 years, you know, we've gotten really good at it. But what, what we knew from the beginning is the basis of what Herman's book is, is, you know, you have to be operating closer to your total daily energy expenditure most of the time. You have to be not dieting most of the time. The more you diet, the worse you're going to get at dieting. And, 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 and I'm speaking specifically to metabolism in general. We talked about that in the mitochondria podcast with Susan. You're, you're 37 trillion cells, right? In those 37 trillion cells, those cells want to be fed. If they're not fed, they die, right? And so, you know, a lot of people call that starvation mode. It's just your body, you know, working towards preservation, you know? And so I know most of you aren't eating 2,500 calories now, right? But if you're in PR, you're probably 22 to 2,500, right? And so if you're operating there, you know, will your weight fluctuate? Sure. We have to all be a little bit honest with ourselves though, right? So like, like what happens, especially if somebody, let's say someone does a cycle of fat loss one, right? And they're kind of new to eat to perform. They've not read all the articles. They're walking through the deficit they kind of think about the way that we do a deficit the way they did with, you know, whatever else that they did previously. So now, you know, you're six weeks, 42 days, and you have on the 43rd day cheesecake, right? Or beer or, or whatever it's going to be, which may work out fine. One time that works out fine. But now all of a sudden you're like, man, God, I feel so much better with that cheesecake and the beer. And so all of a sudden, that one day, that 43rd day became a 43rd, 44th, 45th day, right? 
So Carolyn and, and Liz are like, man, we got to get this in control. You know, this is bad. Alert, 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 right? The problem that you run into in that instance, right, is that we're trying to keep you weight stable as we're normalizing you for fat loss too, right? So if you take a trip to Vegas on, on, on day 43, you know, it's going to take us forever to get your calories back normal. And it's probably going to involve some level of negotiation because you kind of took the 43rd, 44th, 45th, and then the 49th. And then your super day kind of got a little bit out of control, right? Because you, you have all these old diet thoughts that you're still working through. Right. And the reality is, is that, you could have done what you wanted to do on the 43rd. Reality is, is that if you just waited to day 56, you would have been fine, right? Your, your calories would have been normalized. You have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of margarita party, um, Cinco de Mayo, right? Uh, even if it's not Cinco de Mayo, going into fat loss too, you have that one good day. You know, the thing that's nice about flexible eating in general is you can eat things that you enjoy, right? Um, so questions related to, to total daily energy expenditure. Um, there was that, that involved question. And I don't know if, if, cause that person was on an iPhone, we never got it, but we did get an involved question. So Carolyn. If hey, you hello. Hey, Paul. Oh. That was me with the involved question. Um, so yeah, on the cardio, well, let me see. My, my goal would be more like definition. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm that person that, uh, didn't realize about, I, I saw myself in the mirror one day and I said, I go to the gym five days a week. I train an hour and a half every day and I'm not seeing the results. <clears throat> so my little sister, Jenny Cohen. Um, introduced me to your program. So now I'm, um, yeah. And people have commented to me on too much volume. I'm like, what the hell is too much volume? And, and I see people on ETP all the time that I'm like, oh my God, like um, Danielle, she's, I, I see her workouts. And I'm like, I'm not doing that much volume. Right. So, so anyway, I've, I've been working out with a new gal lately and um she's uh, on the idea of cardio we're doing hit training once a week and it's like you know at most it's a 45 minute but we only do hit training once a week so and time then out, time out time out so you're saying you do hit training for 45 minutes once a week yep so one all you are not doing hit training so hit training is maximal effort in a short period of time. So best example of that. So this happens a lot in CrossFit. People go, we're doing a Tabata today. And it's like the Tabatas are like pull-ups. Yep, 2010. Uh, you, the problem with those exercises as HIIT training is that you can, you can rest, right? And now all of a sudden you're not HIIT training, right? HIIT training is... is um, what's the bikes what are, what are they called um fan bikes, fan bikes. yeah so, yep. so you, you, that's all out 
right? Yep, we do it. To where, to where, where you really I can't. Do it. Yeah, but you, can, you, but you can't do that for, for 45 minutes is what I'm saying, is that you're not operating in a way. What you're basically doing is another version of long, car, long endurance, which is also helpful, right? But, but true hit training is you can't breathe, right? And so, so not being able to breathe for 45 minutes, you would die. Yeah. Right? So and, I'm, I know I'm being a stickler for the most extreme version, right? And I know that we don't all do the most extreme version, but I think it's helpful for people to understand what they're doing, right? And, and, and how they could change that. Because, you know, um, you know, if you can, if you can do like an eight minute, uh, circuit, right. Where you can go all out. I'm just going to tell you right now, if, if you do a hill sprint and you go all out right up that hill, I mean, mm -hmm. yep. By about the third or fourth time, I don't care how fit you are. You know, mm -hmm. you, you kind of get a little pukey, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but I do want to, I do want to bring up one thing to people that don't know you you know, like you posted something like a month to two months ago and everyone lost mm -hmm. their mind at the level of definition that you have, which is fine that, that like you have, have goals and things of this nature. Um, but I think like you're most people's after, right? Most people want to be where you are, you know, am I wrong there? I, you know, I guess I'm not... <laughs> I, thank you. I, I don't, I don't, I, I still haven't, I guess I have a, a higher goal. So that's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, no, and that's fine. Like, um, but, but describe to me what the higher goal is. Looking at my, look at Jenny. Here, I'm sorry, you're, um, I, you know, I see people. So this is, this is the hard part about doing <laughs> This is the hard part about doing uh, audio is your audio is breaking up a lot. And is so, it better now that I took it out of my pocket? <laughs> uh, maybe, but um, yeah, so that makes for a bad podcast. Yeah, go ahead. So what's your, talk to me about what your real okay. goal is. Yeah, so um, like I want to see definition. I want to look in the mirror and say, wow, I can see, you know, uh, the tricep heads and I, I mean, I see people posting on there, they lift their shirt and they have definition. I don't have that. Why don't I have that? So, I, and I you did your video, and I see, right. Right. But when you did your video and you flexed, you definitely had, you know, a good, strong four pack. Right. And I get it. Like you want to six when pack. Flex? Yeah. Right. Well, do, do you really think all those people on Instagram are flexing? Like the picture, the three picture that I put up a lot, right <laughs> like the the third picture that you know i all those pictures exist on the internet right um i they actually okay. are in one album but but i i had done bench press i had done uh, like curl uh, pull up type stuff my, my muscles were were pumped you know literally took another picture 15 minutes and i did not look like that dude right okay that's people, on, people on Instagram, Stephanie, I mean, St what Stephanie is doing yeah. for you guys is so brave, right? Because she's showing you all the levels of different, 
that she is at all these different weights, right? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Stephanie does not care what she weighs. She cares what she does, right? And, and, and that really, you know, it's fine for you to have a goal, you know, but the question becomes is at what cost, right? And, and if you can work out a, a lot, if you can, if, if your goal is to stay, you know, really super lean, maybe you're going to have to under eat a little bit, but okay. you know, once again, I'm going to tell you something that's kind of contrary to the way that most people think. For the goal that you want, you would almost certainly want to periodically gain 10 to 15 pounds, right? Because you're not going to gain any substantial amount of muscle, right? See, that's it. You have a goal, but you're not willing to do what it takes to get to that goal because it's more important for you to kind of stay where you are than to get to that other place that's a little bit better. And you know what? I'm that same dude, right? Like I don't necessarily want, you know, to, um, you know, make all these monstrous changes. You know, you'll see bodybuilders that go through these, these bulking and cutting cycles, right? Um, I, I, I just, that's not what I want to be, you know? And so, so I know that it's going to take me a lot longer and I'm guessing that you and I are a similar age. And guess what? You know, father time's undefeated. You know, we are not winning this battle, right? And so at some point, you're going to have to say, right. you, know, you know what? I'm really okay with just being the hottest person in my county, right? Or being, being the hottest person in my house or, or, or whatever, you know? But and okay. and. And, 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 and in my mind, you know, that has nothing to do with weight. It has nothing to do with what you, you know, I, I think every person, you know, I, I mean, I, I say this to my wife all the time that, you know, uh, she must have the most self-esteem just because, you know, I'm like the, the biggest fan of her all the time. Right. Um, but I don't think that's really how self-esteem works necessarily. But, you know, I, I just think a lot of, you know, um, those things, those things get to be a little bit difficult to talk about, right? Um, yeah. Is how we all feel about ourselves inside of our head, you know? All right. So, so like my, my weightlifting now is really three days a week. I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and we do try to keep it under an hour so mm -hmm. that we aren't doing too much volume because what was presented to me, and I think somebody brought it up from ATP, was that um, like when you train too hard and not let the fibers recover and so forth, and there's all that jazz. Yeah. That, that might have been part of my um, prevention of getting better, better definition. Yeah, I mean, have you ever have you ever um, worked out with a bodybuilder, like like a real bodybuilder, like best well, in the world? Out of my sister, she's she was the powerlifting champion. <laughs> so powerlifting is different than bodybuilding. So okay. so somebody like a Jay Cutler, or I can't even think Never. of who these guys are, you know. But oftentimes their sessions are about three hours long. 
some up to six hours. So they might do three in the morning, three in the evening. They might have some cardio every now and again. They'll do sets related to lats, right? Mm-hmm. They'll bang on yeah. lats three different ways. Mm-hmm. And in, in those sets and reps, there's so much rest that the lat exercise just takes an hour, right? And they yeah. did three sets and reps of just lats, right? Yeah. Then the next hour, they're going to do shoulders, right? So they do the shoulders and so much rest that they're talking to people. They're on the phone, you know, um, they're checking in gym members, right? Because they own the gym. I don't think most people understand the, the, the way that it works, right? And a lot of it comes down to rest in, in between those sets, right? Yeah. And the reason why we don't like rest in between sets, and I don't either, by the way, um, is because we got shit to do, right? right? There's no right. protein company going to give me $2 million to endorse them. So, yep. you know, I've got to, I've got to, I got to do other things, nor, nor is that really something, nor, nor am I willing to, to shorten my life. You know, one of the things that happens actually it, with a lot of bodybuilders, powerlifters that never manage their weight at all, right? Is it, especially if you're using, um, you know, testosterone, steroids, something of this nature, and you don't have any cardio built in, you don't have cycles where you cycle off and stuff like this, is your heart just can't handle that, right? These dudes have heart attacks like you've never seen. So I I was at a powerlifting bodybuilding gym for about a year and a half. And in that time, I would say seven people had heart attacks. Wow. And I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Now, the lifestyle now this was powerlifting, right? So it's a little bit different than bodybuilding, but I would say bodybuilding, I bet, I bet there's some bodybuilders that smoke. Um, people were smoking in between sets, you know, they would pound donuts, right? Like, like now you got to remember if you're a powerlifter and you're trying to lift the most weight, having leverage against the bar and weighing more is a huge advantage, right? Like when I started to compete, co- powerlifting, which did not last very long, you know, I had to go, I'm willing to gain, you know, 20 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about that 20 pounds is that I actually gained body fat in that instance, um, even if you factored out the 20 pounds different, right? And you go, well, how'd you do that? I mean, you went from, you know, 350 to 500 pounds, certainly you would gain muscle. No, because of what my goal wasn't to try and gain muscle. My goal was just focused on strength. Right. And so building muscle and strength now does, does more muscle. Is that advantageous for strength? Absolutely. Right. Um, but, and that's why there's this constant want to be in a surplus and, 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 and things of that nature. But I would say, for your goals, you know, you would want to gain, like I said, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 pounds. You would want to stay away from kind of long endurance, right? And oh, by the way, that's that's some of the value of that short-term hit. If, if you know, I mean, anyone that does CrossFit knows what I'm about to say. If you have a 20-minute workout, kind of sucks, 
right? If you have an eight minute workout, they're trying to kill you. (laughs) Like, like you, man, those 20 minute workouts, you can, you can suck it up. And it's just a matter of time. Those eight minute workouts, they scare the shit out of you, you know? And the reason why they scare the shit out of you is Mm because you know, you're operating at the top of your heart rate the whole time. Um, all right. So I hope I covered that. You know, I don't know that necessarily you're going to want to gain 15 pounds and that's just fine. It just means it's going to go a little bit slower. And I also think that you need to buy a new mirror, right? Cause you're doing fine. Anyone that's seen pictures of you, you know, is fine. And, and, and if it sounds like I'm, I'm being condescending, please know that I'm not being condescending in any way, shape or form. I look in the mirror and, and have these same thoughts. Right. And, but, but because I know what it takes to do it, I can actually reconcile the, the level of effort compared to, you know, the level of want. Right. Um, And, and so, so that's interesting. All right. So we did have one other question. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Okay. I had one question you mentioned when you said an individual is at 140, which can be his natural body weight, but working hard towards um, 120 pounds, which is working against body. So how to know what natural body weight is. Okay. So that's interesting. Um, you know, for me, it was looking at my father, right? My father was, you know, kind of, kind of the same, like what I talked about, you know, he played softball, touch football, but, but he's 185 pounds, like forever, you know? And so, you know, I didn't necessarily think of it like this, but when I landed at 185, you know, I was just ultimately, you know, what my father was. So if you're, mother and your grandmother and her grandmother they were all 165 pounds you know you've got some genetic evidence that you know you're going to be 165 you know and that if you want to be 145 it it might be possible but you might be working away against what your set point would like to be right and so that's something that you have to consider um, and it's actually something that was interesting because it came up in a infographic a while ago. And I thought to myself, that's crackers, you know, just do more and, and you'll be fine. And now knowing what I know years later, um, it's right, right? Like if, if you're working against body type, you're going to have to, you know, do some some extreme things and, and you'll be dieting more than your body would prefer. And that'll of course, you know, bring in all the issues, whether it's hypothyroidism, you know, all these different things that, that can come up as a result of not giving your body what it needs. But can I say exactly what it is? Or is there a definite definition? Not that I'm aware of, not that I've ever heard of, right? Because obviously, you know, it's not just your mother right? It's also your father, you know, genetically, um, in my wife's family, you know, there's, there's some people that are more like her dad, which is like a Swedish farmer. My wife looks like her dad's mother, right? Um, and, and she's a descendant of Swedish farmers, you know, so her body is mostly legs and hips, 
right? And, and um, just very muscular, right? Um, and so, you know, if, if my wife wanted to work against her body, it would just, it would just take too much. And she's just not interested in that, you know, and I think, and I think, by the way, especially if you can go to the doctor and get a good reading, you know, um, you know, we all need to be understanding of that's okay too, right? Like, I understand we all want to look a little bit better naked, right? But, you know, at what cost, you know, like, what's it all for, you know? And I think that that's important discussions for all of us to have, because when we're having a discussion about calorie burn, and you go, well, wait a second, if you're saying that I don't need to exercise to lose weight, peace out, dude, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's like for all of us to be better people. And, and, and Herman goes over this in his book multiple, multiple times. But the problem is, is that the people reading the book, they're thinking of it with this narrow focus of their North Star is losing weight, right? Or their North Star is um, having a vested interest in kind of staying who they are. Like body positivity is great. Right. Um, and, and I would encourage everyone to do that. Right. But when we're talking about metrics as it relates to health, you know, um, it's certainly, you know, not going to be healthy to say that someone can be sedentary and overconsume. Right. And so when Herman says that, he's not saying it from a personal standpoint. He was just saying it from a what is optimal health. Now, I do think that when he's talking about a deficit, he's talking about a deficit related to total daily energy expenditure for people that aren't dieting most of the time. So he's talking about these hunter-gatherer people. He's not talking about these people that have been on an 1,100-calorie diet since they were 15 years old, right? So these are kind of the discussions that we have. Another one, cardio and abs not going hand in hand and totally understand that cardio brings in more muscle loss than fat loss. So his core muscles are involved in terms of body trying to burn for quick energy. I don't necessarily understand what they're asking there. Um, but I think if, if you're talking about having visible abdominal muscles, right? Cardio's not going to be great for that, but there is an instance where it would be actually part of the equation and once again we're having a discussion where you're being appropriately fed or maybe even over consuming or or adequately consuming in a hypertrophy phase or you're trying to build muscle look all these people that are 160 pounds telling me the abs are made in the kitchen it's like, yeah, I hear you, but you know, if you have like a strong eight pack and they look like biceps, those were not made in the kitchen. They were made in the gym, you know, and you have to kind of factor that in because like I said, there's, there's a lot of different body types, you know, but if you don't have, you know, strong striations in your muscles and, and things of this nature, and you're kind of more flat, you know, which is a look that a lot of women do prefer, um, you know, just doing, 
you know, as a man eating 1800 calories and, and, and doing 2000 sit-ups a day, it's not going to do a lot for you. Right. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a guy that I know he has a gym in, um, in, uh, I think his name is James Townsend, the, uh, but he was a wide receiver for the university of Iowa and, and the Chicago bears. And I'm just telling you, I've never seen anybody with abs like this dude. Right. Um, it's either James Townsend. Yeah. It's James Townsend. Um, I mean, every, he had like eight pack abs and, and every one of them looked like a bicep, you know, and he is like 210 pounds. Right. And what you don't know about, a lot of these guys in the NFL um, is some of them, you know, go the wrong way. Right. And, and they gain a lot of weight and, and they often, you know, have to, you know, lose a lot of weight eventually um, because their, you know, work capacity was so high. They had high levels of muscle, things of this nature. Um, and then muscle kind of atrophies at, at, at a certain point, but like, the other group is like dying to work out more, right? Like when your body takes that beating all the time, it just doesn't allow your body to recover. And so they, they're able to work out differently. And, and some people get better physique as a result. Um, okay. So we're, you know, this has gone obviously long. I appreciate the fact that a lot of people have stayed through it. I'm going to try and finish off these questions relatively quick. And then we'll shut it down. All right. Definition comes to the bill. Maybe stop killing yourself. Focus on hypertrophy training. Yep. That was kind of what we talked about. Age skin, not to be confused with fat and lack of muscle. So yeah. So like if you've lost an extreme amount of weight, you'll often have loose skin. I have loose skin, you know, from my weight loss. Um, it's not, it's not super pronounced like some can be, um, and I remember talking to a client recently who, you know, routinely sends pictures um, and she had a big weight loss um, and, and then came to eat reform and kind of still kept going, but it made the skin more pronounced. And, you know, I had to have the discussion with her of like, there, there's only one thing that's going to fix that and that surgery, right? So you can't really address you know, um, you know, you can address it a little bit, right. With, with building muscle and things of this nature. But if you, if you lost, you know, hundred, 150 pounds, you're just going to have some sagging skin and you have to either be comfortable with it or you have to, um, you have to have sur surgery. So, um, my brother-in-law is a retired bodybuilder. His plan is crazy. Yep. A lot of people don't realize how much they work out natural body weight and looking at a parent. My mom is about four inch shorter than me and a different body type completely. Any suggestions for someone who's physically very different than other family members? Well, yeah, look at your dad. Um, the, um, because a lot of people, you know, look at their mom and uh, my, my, my wife has five sisters and some of them look like her mom and some of them look like her dad, you know? Um, and so, uh, I think it's helpful, right? Um, you know, you got to remember like our grandparents and the grandparents before them, 
They didn't diet. Dieting wasn't even a thing. Diet has only been a thing for like the last 60 years. Now, you know, low carb was used as a treatment for diabetes, you know, 200 years ago, things of this nature. There's concepts of calorie reduction, but this idea of, of, um, calorie reduction as an answer for weight loss is relatively new on a large scale basis, right? And so um, when you look at your grandparents, your, your grandparents were a lot healthier than you, even though they were smokers, even though they, they uh, ate a lot of food, mostly because um, they tended to be more active. Like even if, you know, a, a, you know, even in the case of women, there was a study um, talking about how technology has really hurt um, both men and women um, related to farming. And a lot of people took issue with the study, but, but all the study was saying was, is that if you add a dishwasher, you're taking away, you know, 150, you know, in, in calories. And if you're consuming an adequate amount of calories, you're holding on to muscle. You don't need to diet all the time, uh, things of that nature. And similar when tractors started to come into play and, and, you know, you were no longer using horses or getting down and plowing and, and things of that nature, even though farmers do tend to be fairly active. I think if you look at the, the health profile of a farmer right now, compared to the farmers in the 1940s, you'll see significant body composition changes, right? And part of it is just because technology has kind of stepped in the way, which by the way, Herman does go over in the book a little bit. So um, we have one question kind of squeeze in here. I'm in PR getting ready for fat loss one in May, have lots of energy, walking, hiking, doing lower body exercise and riding Peloton, have injuries, can't light weights. What do you say about this? Because I want to gain muscle during this phase. Am I gaining any muscle doing these things because they are mostly cardio workouts? So no is the answer, right? You're not optimally gaining muscle um, in that instance. Uh, I think the problem that we run into, like, I think what she's asking is in PR, but I'm going to focus on fat loss since you're about to be in fat loss, right? In fat loss, the reason why you resistance train is so that you don't lose muscle, right? Um, in a fat loss cycle, um, in PR, you're kind of falling in the trap of earning your food, right? And what I'm saying is, is you don't earn your food. And I'm going to once again, use myself as an example. After I left power training, right? Or powerlifting, I had gained 20 pounds and I gained body fat, which was fine. I was 9% previous to that. So I was good, right? I had some room to, to, to go, but it was, a, it was a little striking to me to see how much progress I've made related to lifting weight. And I clearly gained muscle. The thing you know, the thing it said, I gained muscle. It just wasn't drastic. Um, and I didn't lose muscle, which was nice. Um, but the, um, the, 
what it taught me was that I needed to do a lot more bodybuilding. And what was interesting is there was, there was a lot of power lifters and they were all really strong, much stronger than me. Um, that I was, you know, I, I joke about this all the time. Um, and, and it's not even remotely humbling. Um, but I worked out with the women, right? Like, uh, and, and almost all of the women were stronger than me. Right. Um, and they were world-class athletes, you know, and, and their, their focus was lifting as much weight as possible, not necessarily the focus of a, of a bodybuilder. Right. So when I left powerlifting, um, I knew that card, uh, CrossFit, you know, was going to kind of keep me smaller than I would like to be like, you know, when I was 149 and a half, honestly, I, you know, I, I did not like that look. I mean, yeah, I had abs, you know, and yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, I can maybe post a picture in the, in the group to show you what that picture was. Um, but, uh, you know, that was not, that was not when I looked in the mirror or something that, that I wanted to see as a man. Right. Um, I, I just had different goals for myself, which is totally fine. Um, so when I left powerlifting, I started doing more bodybuilding, some crossfitting. Then I went to, um, strictly bodybuilding for a while there. I don't love bodybuilding. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like it doesn't, it doesn't like do it for me. In fact, you know, running does it for me a lot more. Um, but just because of my injury, you know, the, um, you know, it had to kind of take a, take a back seat. Um, and I, and I go through periods where I really love running. And then I go through periods where, you know, um, I'm a little sick of it, but I think what's happening in your instance is that you're not allowing the squats and lunges to do what squats and lunges do. Right. And so you probably not, you're probably repressing the, the tissue growth because you're using it to, to earn calories. Right. And the reality is, is that, you know, the earning calories should probably have you at a higher point, uh, potentially with weight going up. I mean, one of the biggest examples that, that you have is that someone will gain, let's say 15 pounds. And in that 15 pounds, they gain nine pounds of muscle but in their head, they're up 15 pounds, but they're only up six realistically, right? And so the, these are some of the equations that hopefully as we talk about these subjects, everybody kind of realizes that, you know, thinking of them really different. You know I, know, I know when I walked into the CrossFit gym my first time, I was like, that is hard. I need something harder. Luckily, my goals evolved, right? But it did not stop my love for CrossFit, but I don't CrossFit near as much, right? Um, as I used to. And part of the reason why I don't CrossFit near as much is one, I'm old, right? And I don't want to, I don't want to under recover, you know, but it, because of my running, because of the, um, you know, I will, uh, there's one caveat right now is we have to CrossFit with masks on 
not my game. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not making CrossFit harder. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for it to come back. You know, I did do, uh, I mean, I, I haven't done CrossFit because of that for quite some time. And then the gym was closed. Um, but I was still able to do, you know, the first, uh, CrossFit open, but I was just like, I'm not going to do the CrossFit open with a mask. That was part of the reason why I didn't do it with all of you guys. Um, but you know, like that combo of, of a little bit of running, a little bit of, of CrossFit and a little bit of uh, bodybuilding really is something that serves me well. And I think as you start to understand how you work and what your goals really are, you know, you'll start to realize you don't have to do that much cardio, walking, hiking, you know, um, to maintain your weight, right? Um, if anything, you know, if you're, if you're trying to hold on to muscle, um, you should drastically up your calories in that regard to preserve your muscle, because obviously, you know, those activities are going to tend to, um, tear down tissue in a deficit. So that's why I'm really making the point that, you know, as you move into fat loss, you definitely don't want to do those things, right? Because if you're still extreme exercising, but not feeding that exercise, the tissue that you're potentially burning is muscle and not fat, right? So what we want to do in fat loss is stick to a little bit more kind of walking, not super strenuous, get in anywhere from 8,000 steps. Usually when I start off, I start off at about 8K steps. Towards the end of fat loss, I'm at like 12K steps. Um, but I'm resistance training the whole time just so I don't lose muscle, right? All right. Well, I think we covered a lot. Um, hopefully, uh, I know you all know kind of how I am and my stream of consciousness, consciousness way of thinking. Um, and hopefully other people can do because I think there's a lot of information but we covered a lot of things in a sporadic way and hopefully that was fun for everybody and I appreciate really all the the questions and this is definitely becoming a thing right so you know I wasn't a hundred percent committed to it um last because the last time because I wanted to just kind of give it a test run but I really, really like this. I think this needs to be a piece of it to perform. And so I'm really happy that I, I can do it for all of our lifetime members. And then we want to figure out ways that we can do it for all members, right? Um, where they have more access to us as coaches and kind of what we think, why we think of them that way and all that kind of stuff. So I appreciate everybody being here. Everybody have a great weekend and we'll talk to you later. Bye now.